1: Well, hello there and welcome to the show. The purpose of this program is not to tell you what to think, but it is to encourage you to think as clearly and independently as possible, because truth isn't something that's handed down to us by someone in authority. You have to go after it yourself, and this is why it's important that we focus on not just becoming uh, better informed, but also uh, who we are and what we stand for, so... If, you're, if you find yourself spending more time proclaiming this is what I'm against, this is who I'm against, it might be time to rethink that strategy. So I invite you to sit down, pull up a chair, find courage and camaraderie among your fellow wrong thinkers, and claim your heritage as a free individual. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like dot LifesavingFood.com, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, hslammo.com. Also, we want to welcome the Sewing and Quilting Center in St. George as a sponsor, governyourincome.com, and solarpatriots.com. It's a great list. Got them all right there in the show notes, which you can find at my website. That's the show.com. I really try to find a good mix of optimistic as well as informative news stories. And, you know, this is one of those days where trying to find something that, uh, boy, what would be uplifting? You know what would, what would give you the listener a sense of uh, you know it's tough. There are some tough things going on. We faced some difficult things in the last couple of years, but you know generally things are good. That's a tall order, <laughs> and there's 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 just a lot of moving parts, and there there are a lot of things that that feel as though they're just teetering right on that razor's edge of about to spin out of control. So my goal isn't to bring you down here. I don't I don't want you feeling like oh boy. Oh, it's it's the daily dread supplement. But I feel like we should be taking a close look at some of the the issues and some of the the developments that directly affect us or that are are setting the stage for future ways in which our lives are going to be impacted. I want us to be on top of things. I want us to be able to to uh, to stand for the things that, that make life most worthwhile. But uh, you got to be able to see the world clearly in order to do that. And wow, is your work cut out for you, if that's your goal today. See, as often as I warn about the hazards of uh, putting too much faith in what our corporate media is telling us, I I sometimes worry that uh, my goal of seeking out and pointing out truth is is maybe being obscured by the frustration that I personally feel towards those who uh, who spread deception or who spin or otherwise distort the truth for the purpose of, of keeping people within some kind of ideological corral. Got a great article here from Jeff M. Lewis. And it's a powerful reminder that we cannot allow ourselves to become divorced from the truth and wedded to the lies we've been told. So at the risk of sounding like that old guy yelling at clouds, <laughs> I'm going to share more uh, what I hope is more intellectual ammunition with you as to why you must jealously guard your worldview and refuse to let others uh, force feed you a narrative that shapes the way you see the world. You've got to be willing to, to dig in and, and trust yourself to be able to seek out the truth rather than wait for somebody to just hand it to you. Here you go, honey. Open wide. You know, or treat it like a here comes the airplane. You know, we're, this is what we want you to swallow. But more importantly, this is what we expect you to believe. Jeff M. Lewis says I don't know if I've ever seen people, some of whom are my family and friends, so wedded to the lies they have been told that they're unable to recognize the truth. But he says, the past couple of weeks, we have seen a handful of events in the news that are proof of my stated premise. And it's just astounding to watch. Not surprisingly, he starts with the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. Now, as of his writing, as of this program, the verdict in the murder trial has not been rendered. So the jury is still in deliberation. The defendant is still in serious legal jeopardy. And the jury could still find him guilty. But within the past week, however, Mr. Lewis says we have seen an incredible turn of events that has brought out this increased level of vitriol and fervor from those who favor a guilty verdict. Now, this is increasingly concerning because a large portion of the U.S. population cares nothing about the constitutional rights of every citizen accused of a crime. Namely, that one is innocent until proven guilty and that that guilt must be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. So Jeff Lewis says, as a casual observer of the trial's progress and witness testimony, I had taken notice that the prosecution was not doing a stellar job. However, what truly grabbed my attention was that a star prosecution witness, Gage Grosskreutz, was forced to admit under oath that he did indeed advance toward and threaten Kyle Rittenhouse's life by pointing his illegal handgun at him. Rittenhouse responded out to, the, to that threat of bodily harm and shot Grosskreutz in the bicep. Now, Jeff Lewis says, Out of curiosity, I wanted to see how state-controlled media would respond to the devastating cross-examination ter- testimony. So I watched NBC Nightly News. And in a predictable but nonetheless gobsmacking bias, Lester Holt dutifully ignored Grosskreutz's testimony that he'd pointed his handgun at Rittenhouse. Truth ignored, narrative unscathed, unless one has learned not to trust anything the corrupt partisan media are saying. A deeper dive into the alternative reality that all Rittenhouse haters have constructed for themselves came when their memes hit social media. Maybe just, He says some readers have seen the same one that I saw. It contains a photo of both Supreme Court Justices, uh, Justice Kavanaugh's emotional response to false accusations he endured during his confirmation hearings and a photo of Kyle Rittenhouse sobbing during his trial testimony. The accompanying caption, he says, in my opinion, is more or less meaningless. The point of the meme was to humiliate these two men who've been forced to defend themselves against leftists' character assassinations. And he says, when I commented the results of false accusations and persecution-slash-prosecution by leftist mobs, he says, the responses I received were triggered emotional diatribes that completely ignored the facts of the case and lacked any basis in truth. So apparently objective reasoning and rational thought are too much to ask, even after replying with links to honest reporting about the trial testimony. So Jeff Lewis says after years of dealing with the political opposition, either subverting the truth, denying the truth or outright manufacturing blatant lies, none of us should be surprised. He says it's in their playbook and they run to it every day. Next, there's the Trump and Russia collusion. Further evidence of the left's rejection of the truth has come out with the news of the most recent indictments against the cabal that colluded with the Hillary Clinton campaign to undo the results of the 2016 election. Jeff Lewis says one must view these indictments and recall the utter malpractice of the corrupt deep state allied media in propagating the nonstop litany of bald faced lies. Each and every day a new bombshell each and every day a new twist in their false narrative. And he says most of us have known for years, and it can no longer be denied that the Clinton campaign made up the accusation out of whole cloth. He says try to remember the conversations with anyone, family, friends, or other who are just so certain that Trump was every bit the Russian stooge or the Russian asset, the traitor the media was telling them that he was. The same goes for the with the ad infinitum racist. Accusations. There was no reasoning. There was no objective discussion, no critical thinking at all. Only the most unhinged and deranged adherence to the lies they'd been told. And the very same discussion could follow about any long list of issues. The narrative begins one way, dutifully leftists take actions that has both immediate and long-lasting negative impact on the communities and states impacted as well as our country. Even when presented with irrefutable truth, there remains a delusional loyalty to the narrative and to the lies that we've been told. Now, i got to tap the brakes here because we're coming up fast on our own commercial break. But we're going to go through a few examples of this, courtesy of Jeff Lewis. And, look, the goal here isn't to try to provoke any kind of, you know, you should go out and confront your family members. I mean, Thanksgiving's been awkward enough for a lot of people for about the last five years. (laughs) I I wouldn't encourage uh, you, let's create greater conflict, but there is still a decision you and I have to make. And since improving the world really starts with improving ourselves first, maybe we need to uh, get our own perception and powers of perception and discernment squared away uh, before we go trying to fix everybody else's problems. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. And I don't
1: know if I said this before, but again, thank you so much for taking a chance and for for checking out this program. Hopefully, I'm offering something that gives you a little bit deeper insight and hopefully uh, inspires a little bit deeper conviction to be true to what you know. Our program is brought to you in part by the Sewing Quilting Center in St. George, Utah. Very happy to have them as a sponsor. I've been friends with Eric Alsop for many, many years. And uh, when I heard that uh, he and his wife, Teresa, had had purchased the Sewing Quilting Center, I was kind of proud because... As he explained it to me, this is a business that's been around since the uh, mid-1980s. It's only changed hands a couple of times. It's, it's, it's a family-owned business. But uh, sewing and quilting are things that I've seen my mom very deeply involved in. Um, some of the quilts that she and her friends have made are, are just, uh, they are part of a heritage that she is passing down, and I hope will be passed down for, for generations to come. I realize that doesn't matter to everybody, but if you're one of those people for whom that strikes the right note, well, you need to know about uh, Sewing and Quilting Center. There's a link in my show notes at the com. I did want to tell you too; they are they sell fabric as well as machines, and right now they have a they have a fabric called Cuddle, comparable to minky couture. Some say it's better, but it's quite the rage for baby blankets and throws. They've got this very soft fabric for blankets on sale. 35% off through the month of November and a really nice selection and also, um, also those who are quilters might want to check out Long Arms by Handy Quilter on sale for Christmas now the new Moxies is available for as low as $4,995 with setup and training available so they'll not only sell it to you but they'll fix it for you if, it, if you ever need to repair or maintenance they'll also teach you how to use it that's sewingandquiltingcenter.com. So Jeff Lewis has this great piece about divorced from the truth, wedded to the lies they've been told. Look, I I have family members uh, that are are definitely a part of this to where every conversation risks going into, you know, an argument about how Trump was a Russian asset or uh, what was the other one he, he talked about? The Kyle Rittenhouse trial. You know, somehow... You know, this is this is uh, symbolic of racism. Wait, didn't... Weren't the three individuals shot by Kyle Rittenhouse uh, all white guys? Yeah, but it's irrelevant. You know, this is a chance to jump in the spotlight and draw attention to myself. Anyway, there are a lot of places where people, even when presented with irrefutable truth, choose to remain loyal, and I mean delusionally loyal, to the narrative and the various lies that we are being told by our legacy media. Here's just a quick list, okay? Here's here's about five different examples. The 2021 Georgia voting law requires voter ID. Liberals lie about voting rights? Why, this is is making it harder for people to vote. Atlanta loses the baseball all-star game. By the way, where did that game go? It went to Colorado, where... I don't know if you knew this, but they require voter ID. Ha, well, (laughs) as long as somebody had a chance to be outraged and, you know, draw attention to themselves, you know, at least some good came of this. Here's another big one. Prescriptions of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin against COVID-19 are restricted in America, and many tens of thousands die while other countries employ the safe, effective, and most importantly, inexpensive medicines to their great benefit. In fact, ivermectin, is on the U.N.'s list of essential medicines. So why don't we hear about that? The next example he gives is the out-of-control government spending during the COVID pandemic continuing at an ever-increasing rate under the Biden administration that's resulted in runaway inflation not seen in decades, but we're being told, we're being gaslighted, well, inflation signifies a strong economy. Come on, man, you can afford it. He talks about how anything related to vaccine mandates must not be questioned. And of course, finally, critical race theory has been roundly rejected by most of America's citizens. We don't want it taught to our children. Liberals and leftist CRT activists lie and insist that CRT only teaches real American history. Yes, steeped in Marxism. Now, Jeff Lewis says, look, I've witnessed a highly intelligent, strong-minded, strong-willed and successful uh, citizens in our country in a variety of age groups deconstruct themselves into an enraged, slobbering, apoplectic mass quivering with abject emotion at the very notion that what they believe on these issues is wrong. First of all, he says, it's sad that our society's now raised up people who appear to believe that it's inconceivable that they could be wrong. There's a lack of willingness and an ability to accept anything that differs from their uh, doctrines and ideologies, and for one to question them is akin to physical violence. Meanwhile, the people who take that dogmatic, hardline stance threaten actual violence and cheer and support when it happens to someone else who is other than they are and dares to think other than they do. Facts be damned. I have my truth. He says, knowing history, one should not have to think too hard to understand we are precariously perched atop a treacherously slippery slope. Jeff Lewis says there can be no other option than to relentlessly present the objective, verifiable truth and to do so with complete accuracy to the extent that one can, constr- can control it. It's a pitiful sight to behold another family member, friend, or neighbor who's lost all all ability to reason, but instead chooses to remain wedded to the long and ever-increasing list of lies that Democrats tell them. And, of course, some do so just because they are dishonest and they'll never admit to being wrong. As to those, he says, wipe the dust from your shoes and keep moving. Hopefully for the naive and credulous ones, some of our fellow citizens will grasp the truth before it's too late for them and for all of us. So it kind of leaves us with a quandary, doesn't it? How do we approach something like this and and i've I've talked about this quite a bit over the years but if 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 you're new to the show, maybe you're hearing this phrase for the first time. How do you talk to the brainwashed? How do you help the brainwashed see things that they really don't want to see and I'm not going to pretend that I've got all the answers right here but but I am going to tell you that uh, this is this is something I've taken very seriously for uh the last few years. And there, there is a technique that I learned from Paul Rosenberg that has uh, really borne some good fruit. And so it's in, in the interest of how do you talk to people who are, you know, brainwashed into thinking, you know, that, that uh, you know, black is white, up is down. Basically, the ministry of truth has conditioned them to believe a lot of falsehoods. The first step is this, and that is to remember that you and I have been brainwashed as well. Every single one of us has. We've we've all been <clears throat> raised in and subjected to various systems that have shaped our thinking and conditioned us to see the world in a certain way. And what that means is every person you encounter has been in that swamp of misinformation trying to find the way out. Now, some people don't mind. Some people actually are wallowing in it and enjoying it. I, I, don't, I don't know why. they Maybe they find a sense of purpose in that. But if you have found yourself trying to slog your way out of that swamp of misinformation, you can probably appreciate the first few times you bump up against the limits of what you understand, it's uncomfortable. This is why people, you know, get uh, get violent. This is why they, they puff up <clears throat> and do this impression of, you know, guerrilla domination when they're not sure how to answer something that is, is you know, making their mental universe ache because they're recognizing contradictions. So the answer for this is, first of all, recognize you've been brainwashed too. But the solution is, you don't need to beat them harder. You don't need to be more vicious in how you speak the truth. Instead, what you must do is speak the truth with love. Take the hits, if for some reason they are threatened by it and they just don't want to hear it. Keep smiling, keep loving them. But above all, let them come to the truth at their own pace. That means there doesn't need to be a winner in any given discussion. And if it's feeling too much like an argument and a shout down, it's okay to say, hey, let's talk about this when we can actually have a conversation and then walk away.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show.
1: Again, you can always check out the show notes at com. I'm encouraging those who, who go there to check them out. You'll notice there's a subscribe button down at the bottom of the page. Won't cost you a thing to mash that button. And what happens is I will send to your email inbox every day, uh, my show notes. Which uh, you know will serve as a great source of reading information, uh, reading material for your free time, and uh, for for other hosts who are feeling a bit lazy, maybe don't want to do their own research. Well, you know, I've done your show prep for you, no charge, <laughs> my gift to you. So the uh, buffalo horn wearing uh, Q shaman, remember the guy with the painted face who was uh, strutting around the inside of the U.S. Capitol on January sixth? I don't know if you heard this, but he was sentenced to forty one months in prison for his role in the insurrection as, as we're told it's uh, it was uh, as it's being portrayed that is meanwhile the capital police officer who killed an unarmed protester faces no consequences whatsoever in fact i believe he's actually been put in for a medal of some sort or some kind of award or recognition for bravely shooting ashley babbitt something's off i'm sorry but there's there's something wrong here when you have people being held as political prisoners and, so, and i don't know you know the truth of of all of the stories that are coming out but it sounds like those people being held in conjunction with the january 6th events they are not being treated well they're being treated as presumptive you know criminals already convicted in the minds of of those who are holding them so even before their trials they they're being denied their rights, they're being punished, they're being held in solitary confinement. The process is the punishment for them, and it's, it's ugly stuff. That's why I'm grateful for commentators like Kent McManigle, who speaks the truth bluntly. You can disagree with him, but one of the things I love about Kent is I never have to wonder, where is he coming from on this issue? And he's got a great article here about how the U.S. Capitol belongs to the people. How's this for some counterspin? from what you're probably hearing from most corporate media sources? Ken McManigle says pretending the January 6th demonstration was an insurrection is silly. An insurrection which didn't seek to topple any government, which was in support of the sitting president, and where the armed people were all on the other side? Pfft, nonsense. On top of this, he says, it infuriates me that anyone could be charged with a crime for entering a building that belongs to the people, not the government, for protesting there. To treat this as a crime, he says, is injustice. And any government pursuing this sort of case against any individual has delegitimized itself beyond repair. It's done. Now, he says, did the demonstrators have a right to be protesting inside the building? Kent McManigal answers, yes, they absolutely did. Well, would you have joined the protest? He says, not a chance. Now, he says, the U.S. Capitol belongs to you. It doesn't belong to politicians. It doesn't belong to the Capitol Police. If anyone's trespassing, it's those Congress critters who are doing things the Constitution doesn't allow them to do. They are ignoring their clear constitutional limits and doing the opposite of what the people they supposedly represent want them to do within those limits. They are the ones who have no right to be on the Capitol grounds. Kent McManigal says, we can disagree over whether there's any point in protesting a criminal government. He says, I don't believe there is, since I don't think any political government can be redeemed. But I'm not going to criticize those who hold out hope that there may still be a slim chance. If you think it's time to protest, it's probably too late for a mere protest to fix anything. Okay, that is really solid advice. And I tend to agree. That's not the same thing as giving up, by the way. It's just an acknowledgement that people in the streets don't really make that big of a difference. Yes, it's a show, oh, look, oh, there's people in the streets. But as we saw on January 6th, government can actually use that to their advantage. All you need is just a couple of uh, agents provocateur or instigators. I mean, I don't remember the guy's name, but have you seen the video of the guy who was going around the night before? On January 5th, telling people, we've got to get inside the Capitol. Plain as day, that's what's got to happen. We've got to get inside the Capitol. He was there on January 6th doing the same thing, urging people, we've got to get into the Capitol. Interestingly enough, he's never been arrested. I don't believe he's been indicted. does kind of make you wonder. The folks who did break in, they sure seemed squared away. They looked like they had training. In, in military parlance, their poop was wired tight. They, they knew what they were doing. They moved with purpose. The rest of the people, you know, grandma in there waving the flag and just walking through and looking at the Capitol, she's the one who's sitting in jail. What about the undercover folks? You know, I don't think the FBI's ever really answered how many of their assets were a part of that equation. So just something to think about. Anytime you show up for a protest, I can guarantee you government is going to have some of its agents working that protest as well. And typically, history has shown the ones who are most strongly urging some kind of illegal action are the most likely to be the informants or the provocateurs trying to find somebody, you know, dumb enough to take a nibble at whatever, you know, baited hook they're waving in front of them. So back to Kent McManigal's article. He says to arrest the protesters was criminal, but the government's crimes went beyond that. The monetary punishments levied against those who demonstrated are no different than any other violent mugging. And it's especially telling when a fine and restitution are imposed separately. A fine is simply another tax, in other words, more theft by government. And a government can't be owed restitution because it isn't an individual. It has no rights that can be violated. He says, no, I don't know the Clovis doctor who was recently sentenced for entering the U.S. Capitol. I would probably disagree with him on most topics. I wasn't a Donald Trump supporter because I don't support politicians of any sort ever. It doesn't matter. But he says what this doctor did wasn't a crime in any real sense. The crime was committed by those who sought to punish him and others like him. And Kent McManagle says, "I'll always remember who these real criminals are." That's pretty strong language. I don't disagree with him, though. So let me offer just a thought here too, on the idea of, OK, but so if, if protesting really doesn't do that much good, you know, in, in, in my opinion, or in Kent McManigal's opinion, <clears throat> then what can we do? What ought we do, you know, to, uh, to register our disapproval? I still think the strongest thing that a person can do is simply withdraw their consent and that can take so many different forms. One of the the strongest things that I have seen over my lifetime of registering discontent with the system and peacefully denying it authority is to simply, you know, withdraw your kids from public school and homeschool them. Now not everybody does this, But the ones who do, I think, uh, are are doing something very beneficial. Number one, their actions are peaceful. Number two, they're doing something that actually is having a tangible impact on the lives of those students. I know there are those, well, Brian, what about their uh, socialization? How are those kids going to know their place in the world? Trust me. Those kids will know their place in the world far better than in that artificial construct that more closely resembles prison with every passing year. Right? Metal detectors at the door, armed guards, you know, walking around the school. Armed, of course, for their safety and my safety. Lockdowns. Are you serving a term? I'm sorry, are you in the middle of the term at the school? You know, the bells to tell you when to stand or sit. Everybody's segregated by age. Sorry. There's some great people who work within the public education system. My wife is one of them. But people who are building a parallel track by educating their kids themselves, I think, are doing a great favor. And that's just one small example of different ways you can withdraw your consent. There's a term. It's called A-G-O-R-I-S-M. Agorism. Agorism in a nutshell what it means is reducing your governmental footprint put another way these are people who simply have stopped asking permission to live their lives so if you live uh, for instance you live in an unincorporated area you live out in the county um you don't go and ask for permission hey I'd like to I'd like to put a tool shed on my property mother may I you don't know, have permission Oh, here's some money, you know, to degrease your palms and, you know, to show that I'm, I'm respecting your authority. I prefer the way that uh, people do it, who just simply build it. And away they go. You don't have a cosmetology license, but you want to cut your neighbor's hair and your neighbor slips you, you know, a $20 bill in return? Fine. That's agorism at its finest. Stop asking permission to be free, though, is kind of the bottom line here.
0: This is the Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Gotta give a
1: quick shout out here to lifesavingfood.com. Yep, we're talking food storage. This is ReadyWise Food Storage. Lots of selection. You know, whatever it is you're looking for, uh, whether it be, you know, grab-and-go buckets or you're looking for a complete food storage program, they've got it for you. And for my listeners, you can get a 25% discount. Did you hear that? 25%! All you have to do is use my last name, HYDE, H-Y-D-E, as your coupon code when you get to checkout. Now I've been after people for many, many years, you know. Be consistent, be prepared, get yourself squared away in case, you know, unstable times ever find their way to us. Well, I think we're, we're fast approaching the really unstable times that, that uh, many of us have seen coming for quite a while. So while there is time to take action, this would be a great time to go to my uh, website, go to my show notes, thebrianheidshow.com. You can also click on the sponsor section on my website and go to lifesavingfood.com. See what they have to offer. If it makes sense, make the purchase, but use that coupon code HIDE to save yourself 25% at checkout. Well, let's uh, talk for a moment about uh, the consent of the governed. I touched on this briefly in the last segment, but this is a phrase that needs to be on the lips of every person who takes his or her freedom seriously. In other words, just because government exists does not mean, hey, you owe us your absolute fealty no matter what, man. You have to consent. And that means that you and I can withdraw that consent if need be. Now, Judge Andrew Napolitano had a recent essay published on LewRockwell.com that poses some very timely questions about how Leviathan is working to destroy what remains of our li- of our liberties. And Judge Napolitano starts with the question, what if the federal government views the Constitution as an obstacle to be avoided? He says, what if many of its most earnest endeavors have been spent finding ways to evade it? What if the dual purposes of the Constitution were and remain the establishment of the federal government and the imposition of restraints upon it? He says, what if the states formed the federal government and not the other way around? What if the states that formed the federal government and the states that joined it contemplated at the time of formation and joining that they can correct it when it exceeds the powers that the states gave it? What if the federal government's only source of powers is those delegated to it by the states in the Constitution? And what if those delegated powers are spelled out In the Constitution, so that all persons can read what powers the feds have and recognize that all remaining governmental powers not delegated to the feds have been retained by the states. What if when Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, which was unanimously adopted by Congress and which launched the American Revolution, he defined consent of the governed as the necessary linchpin for a moral and legitimate government? And what if the government is not moral and thus not legitimate if it lacks the consent of the governed? Judge Napolitano says, what if to address this, Jefferson argued the government should begin anew every 19 or 20 years. And the new government would require the consent of the governed for its moral legitimacy. I love this next question. What if no one living today has consented to the federal government? What if the culture of the federal government has become an out-of-control Leviathan in the past 100 years? And what if Leviathan believes that it can right any wrong, regulate any behavior, tax any event, borrow, borrow any amount, fight any war, tell any lie, torture any foe, and kill any person, no matter what the Constitution says? What if all of those who work for Leviathan take an oath to uphold the Constitution? And what if that oath legally binds those who take it to the plain meaning of the words in the Constitution? What if the Feds can only right wrongs in areas of governance delegated to them in the Constitution? What if the Constitution plainly leaves areas of governance, such as health, safety, welfare, and morality, to the states, what if Leviathan is made up of folks who view the states not as independent, sovereign entities, but as subservient administrative regions whose wills can be bent by distributing federal cash? What if those who control Leviathan truly want to trample the states, tell us all how to live, seize our wealth and give it away, and compel us to take drugs against our wills? What if there's no authority in the Constitution for the feds to tell us all how to live and to compel us all to receive experimental drugs? What if the government has signed a treaty right after World War II that prohibits all nations that signed it from compelling any persons to receive experimental drugs? What if the feds treat their commitments under treaties just as they do their restraints under the Constitution, with disdain and indifference? What if the feds believe it's politically wise for them to compel the rest of us to receive experimental drugs? What if the feds have done this, even though they have no authority for it from the Constitution, and even though the Supreme Court has ruled that all competent adults can refuse any medication, and all competent parents can make health and medical decisions for their children? What if the feds don't care what the Supreme Court says when it rules against them? What if a Circuit Court of Appeals, which is just below the Supreme Court, has ruled that there are grave constitutional concerns with federal edicts issued last week, purporting to compel all employers of 100 or more persons to require their employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19? What if the feds are proceeding to enforce these edicts, notwithstanding an injunction against them imposed by this Court of Appeals? Judge Napolitano asks, what if the feds have no authority whatsoever to enter upon private property without a search warrant and tell an employer how to run a business? What if the federal vaccine edict was promulgated by the president and his bureaucrats and is not a law that can be enforced with penalties? What if under the Constitution, only Congress, not the president and not the bureaucrats, can write laws? What if Congress has not enacted any laws compelling COVID-19 vaccinations? What if the president hasn't even asked Congress to enact such laws? What if the president doesn't care about the Constitution he has sworn to uphold and instead directed bureaucrats to issue edicts and pretend that they are laws? What if it's dangerous for the feds to defy one of their own courts? What if some courageous governors tell their police not to enforce federal edicts? What if the feds lack the resources to enforce their edicts on their own? What if the feds suffer a huge political backlash because of their imposition of edicts that assault personal bodily integrity and invade private property? What if the states ignore the feds? What if they refuse its cash and decline its bribes? What if we are all left free to make our own choices when it comes to bodily integrity and personal privacy? What if the feds don't take lightly a massive and state generated defiance of their edicts? What if the feds wrongly use force to compel compliance with their edicts? What if most folks fear the feds because they prefer safety to freedom? What if it's dangerous to be right when the government is wrong, what do we do about it? Now, I've got a link to Judge Napolitano's uh, essay here in the show notes at the show.com I love that he uses the Socratic method to, to get people thinking about this. And yes, there's a lot of what-if questions there. But there also is the question of what, uh, you know, what do you do about this? Where did you give your consent? And if you didn't give your consent, what do you intend to do about it? I wish I could remember the exact wording of uh, the meme that I saw the other day, but it, it to me, it, it really spoke to me. Um, it was the idea that uh, if you are awake, not woke, but if you are awake and concerned at what you see going on, Be thankful that God has awakened you and understand that that means there is something that God expects of you because you are awake. I know that's going to be a little metaphysical for some. You know, it's going to uh, to maybe feel a little bit scary. What do you mean? God expects me to do something? But I suspect you wouldn't listen to a program like this one if at some level you didn't believe that Something is terribly off right now about the direction that our nation is headed, and in fact, most of the world for that matter. I assure you, your uh, powers of observation aren't deceiving you. There is something terribly off. But I'm also here to tell you, with God's help, there is something you can and should be doing to help correct this situation. Find out what it is.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: This is where wrong thinkers gather on a regular basis to think for themselves, to gather information that will enable them to more clearly see the world, to better understand who they are and what they stand for, and then to make a difference that each one of us was individually born to make. So if any of that resonates with you, I welcome you as a fellow wrong thinker and and encourage you, come and find courage and camaraderie with the rest of us. Our program is brought to you by dot LifesavingFood.com, also com, Sewing and Quilting Center in St. George, Utah, GovernYourIncome.com, and SolarPatriots.com, as well as the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. So, I'm going to start with something that's a little bit provocative today, and I know, like you've never done that before, but... Uh, let me tell you why I'm hesitant as I, as I share this this uh, next story with you. I want to be optimistic. But I look around me and there is absolutely no doubt that a certain degree of zealotry has taken hold in our society. I mean, you look at uh, the zealotry of uh, Antifa, for instance, or Black Lives Matter, where people are openly standing outside the courthouse in Kenosha, Wisconsin, threatening and intimidating and trying to pick fights with people. Yeah, that kind of zealotry. And by the way, you know, the proud boys, there's 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 a mirror image of it on the other side. Maybe maybe not quite as uh detached from reality, but nonetheless, there are people spoiling for a fight on the political right as well. Now personally, I don't, I don't resonate with the idea of, yeah, man, we ought to be out there fighting everybody in the streets so we can show that our way is better. Because I don't think something that's imposed through violence or through the threat of violence is legitimate. The only kind of uh, societal change that I think is, is virtuous and therefore legitimate is that that is freely chosen by those who embrace it. Well, I've got an article here from Jackson P. Chamberlain says, we've entered the unnecessary, or the necessary age of zealots. And it raises a very interesting question as to whether each of us will be required to embrace our inner zealot in order to defend what must be defended. So that's why I say it's a little bit controversial. This is not a call to arms so much as a call to conscience and to sort out where do you stand on these issues. That's not something I can answer for you. So let's, let's consider what Jackson Chamberlain has to say. He says, as a writer, I typically formulate thoughts quickly, get them on paper, and run with them. That works well for me. My production is pretty steady, and what winds up in front of readers is general, generally well-received. He says, for, th- for some thoughts, though, I need more information. I need a better point of reference or just to wrap my head more fully around the idea. Occasionally, he says, I need, not, I need time to talk myself out of what I'm thinking. And he says, I've spent the last several days trying to talk myself out of what I'm about to say, but for as much as I want to, I can't find any real flaw in the basic premise of my thinking. So he asks, what if Hitler, Stalin, Mao, et al., are necessary evils let loose upon humanity to force us into realignment? And he says, what if their vile acts simply must occur now and then to give us, to give good the opportunity to triumph over evil and make the world a better place for a while? And what if we're in such a time right now? Now, he says, if in, in 2021, you wouldn't look at Germans and declare them awful people. But if you lived in America circa 1943, you likely would have. How would you feel about Germans living in your neighborhood? How would you react to hearing Wagner playing on the radio? What momentary twinge would you feel upon seeing a can of sauerkraut sitting on a store shelf? Chamberlain says, there's, today there's no great animus toward the people of Germany, but 80 years ago, there was. And such a reaction was, in my estimation, absolutely necessary. He says, war is an ugly thing, full of death and destruction and atrocities too difficult to process without a way to justify it in one's mind. War cannot be prosecuted, no matter how just and necessary, without first making it mentally okay. And this is where zealotry begins. He says, I believe we must become absolute zealots to justify the massive scale required to fight and end a conflict like World War II. And just in case you doubt that such zealotry could be carried as part of our national consciousness, he says, remember that in the mid-1940s, even Bugs Bunny got in on the act with both the Germans and the Japanese. So if Hitler at all are evils necessary to realign mankind, zealotry is necessary to make that realignment possible. Jackson Chamberlain says, call me a softie, but I've always tried to avoid the word hate. Lately, though, the revulsion and anger I feel every time I see a video featuring Antifa borders on that very thing. I feel a physical tightening of the muscles and an immense desire to be in the scene at that very moment. When I see one of those chumps taking a swing at whoever they're targeting, the zealot in me comes out, and I want to see justice done right now by my own hand. Now, he says, no doubt the exact same zealot has come out in the Antifa scumbag at that precise moment. Our respective zealots simply carry an entirely different worldview. Now, Jackson Chamberlain says, such is the nature of war. And I believe wholeheartedly that the United States is currently in a war between good and evil within our own shores. Like everyone else involved in this war, and we all are, he says, I'm certain that my side is the good side. For this reason, I simply have no tolerance whatsoever for anyone on the other side. I simply I don't want to hear from them. I don't care what they have to say. I share no relation to them in any way, and refuse to entertain any thought that I might. And they feel exactly the same way about me. This is the necessary zealotry of our current circumstances. He says, "I've always been the calm one, routinely, the arbiter called upon to settle disputes." I'm the level-headed one who thinks rather than just reacting. I've been the peacemaker because I've never seen the point of conflict. It always seemed to me to be counterproductive. Until now. Now, he says, I have no interest in sitting at the same table as AOC. I couldn't take her or Kamala Harris or Cori Bush and certainly not Joe Biden seriously in any case. But the disrespect or the disgust that I feel just picturing any of those and a, hundreds of, a hundred others like them within spitting distance of me precludes me from even considering the possibility. Jackson Chamberlain says, I believe to my core that Anthony Fauci, Ilhan Omar, Nancy Pelosi, the entire Department of Justice and countless others in the Democrat Party leadership all belong in jail. And the more I see, the more deeply ingrained that belief becomes. He says, I can't find an avenue of acceptance for what I view as a fundamental trampling of our nation's constitution and dismantling of what is and has always been the greatest nation ever conceived on this earth. I believe their treachery is purposeful, with those participating in it well aware of what they're doing. I believe it is positively immoral, and I believe it imperative that these activities are stopped in their tracks and the perpetrators are held to maximum account for it. In many cases, I believe what these people are doing is treasonous at least, a crime against humanity at worst, and that the punishment must fit the crime exactly as prescribed for both sets of offenses. And here's the kicker. He says, for me, these feelings are beginning to extend to anyone who in any way could support the evil these people are foisting on America and mankind. He says, I'm starting to despise anyone who still calls him or herself a Democrat. And honestly, he says, I'm finding the same feelings for many who claim to be Republicans, but who seem willing or eager to compromise with the other side. My tolerance for compromise has reached its end. And he says, it now seems I'm fully imbued with the necessary zealotry of war, the Cold War that is here now, and perhaps, God forbid, any escalation that might come if the Antifa and BLM crowd push their violence too far. Now, I've got to hit pause here because we're coming up on our break, but I'm going to ask you a really difficult question. Have you wrestled with similar thoughts or a similar realization in your own heart? Because as much as I hate to admit it, I definitely have myself. I feel that same... When I see video of Antifa attacking somebody's prayer breakfast and, you know, visiting violence on peaceful people... Yeah, it, it it brings to the surface some really ugly, ugly base emotions. And I don't like it, but I can't pretend that it's not real. We'll come back to this commentary right after these messages.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And just like that, we are back. Just
1: a quick shout out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. This is good news for anyone who is fortunate enough to be moving to the great state of Utah. And uh, judging by what's happening in the real estate market, that's a lot of people these days. If you're one of them. You know it's the hottest real estate market most of us have ever seen. When you find the home of your dreams, your financing has to be squared away right now. And this is where the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah, can help you. Heather has decades of experience. She knows what it takes to meet the needs of both the lenders and the borrowers. And Heather's the one you want on your side to make things happen when time is of the essence. Now, you can call 435-703-4522 to speak to her. You can visit 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. And Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. So I've been sharing this essay from Jackson Chamberlain. We've entered the necessary age of zealots. And I know that you are a calm, respectable, upstanding citizen of your community, as am I. But his point about uh, that, that, zealotry that sometimes comes to the surface in my heart, it's a real thing. And and the question that he's asking that is so uncomfortable, at least for me, is it a necessary thing? Jackson Chamberlain says it would be easy to say that, well, you're just inflamed because you're low information or you have a diminished capacity for reasoned thought. But he says exactly the opposite is true. I devour information. My processing skills are formidable. Viewed from that lens, he says, I'm deeply concerned that our current and growing tribulations could devolve into even deeper conflict. The battlefield of ideas seems to be weakening, creating the terrible potential that there will be just one awful battlefield left. Again, something all decent people devoutly hope to avoid. And he says, much as I decry violence, my brain, perhaps looking at what leftists have proven willing to do, views this this outcome as inevitable and is therefore preparing the way for it. Now, it may be that this is the root of the unease settling upon much of the American population. It isn't confusion and it isn't merely fear. It certainly features elements of disbelief, but that's part and parcel of making the shift from normalcy bias which permits us to be reasonable in the face of uncertainty, to zealotry, which permits us to be certain in unreasonable times. And these are very unreasonable times. He says, We're settling into the age of the zealots, and as frightening as that prospect may be, this means that to push forward into a dubious tomorrow, we'll all have to embrace our inner zealot with what's left of today. God help us all. Now that's, that's some pretty heavy stuff to process. Here's where, here's where I have to try to, to reconcile. Um, Something I learned a few years ago at Bundy Ranch, no less, was I learned very clearly just how much I had been relying on um, what, uh, what people call the arm of the flesh. Okay. This is uh, actually a religious term versus, uh, you know, relying on, God to be my defender and to be the protector of the things that I hold dear. But my experience at Bundy Ranch really helped me and by extension a lot of the people who were there with me that day to reevaluate where have I been putting my faith. And I, for the record, I still believe that when all is said and done, putting your faith in God is the safest Route. It is the, the surest foundation on which a person can build. But I also believe, notwithstanding that faith in God and notwithstanding the, the, the understanding that I have that, that God will protect those who reach out to him in faith. I watched it happen for the Bundy family. Now, he didn't shelter them from anything bad ever happening to him. A good portion of their family sat for nearly two years rotting in jail as they awaited trial. But in the end, they were delivered from their captivity. And as Ammon Bundy had uh, predicted, in early twenty sixteen, he said, "When that time happens, know that it uh, it happened because of God's hand." I had a front row seat; I saw it myself. And even though I was uh, I I questioned, you know, I didn't think I didn't think they would ever see the light of day. But I'll tell you. God delivered the Bundy family, and I believe that uh, the same protection is available to anyone else who puts their faith in him. Having said that, I also think that there are things that uh, that God would expect us to defend, even to bloodshed. And I can't answer for you what those things might be. I'm still trying to reconcile in my heart, you know, at what point is it uh, justified for a person to stand up and defend something, to the sake of bloodshed, you know, and I—I I don't know, I—I I, I can't give you a, a clear answer. Well, it's always good in this case, and in that case, you never do it. I think this is why we have to have an extremely well-tuned conscience and a well-calibrated moral compass to guide us through those times. But like Jackson Chamberlain's uh, article, zealotry has taken hold as much as i would like to avoid it i don't know if that's going to be a possibility always so part of uh, part of being prepared for what may come means we have to be mentally as well as physically prepared for the sake that, for the for the possibility that we may have to we may have to use violence to defend those things that matter Not a very pleasant topic, right? I'm sorry, it it makes me uncomfortable just as it makes you uncomfortable. But this is why we can't just ride on the whatever wave of, uh, you know, fervor happens to be sweeping through the crowd at the moment. There have been tough times, you know, throughout human history. We happen to be living through one of them now. And I don't know what it would take for my inner zealot to, you know, to have to come out and and do battle. But I'm a believer that uh, people should should take seriously the idea that they may have to stand up for themselves. So it doesn't bother me to see, you know, that uh, guns and ammo sales have been, you know, off the charts for uh, actually for quite a long time. The last couple of years, definitely, but I think when Obama was first elected... I don't know of any president who sold more guns than Barack Obama. But I've long said, and I still believe, being a gun owner is not enough. You need to be trained. And I think one of the best examples that I can point to, even though you might say, well, isn't he, you know, isn't his life hanging in the balance? But uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, 17-year-old kid with an AR-15, clearly had some degree of training. And I don't mean in that, you know, he was uh, this expert marksman could knock a flea off a buffalo's butt at 500 yards. It was his shoot-don't-shoot decision-making skills that really impressed me with whoever trained him really did a good job. He didn't threaten or harm anybody who wasn't in the process of attacking him and posing a deadly threat to him. So take that for what, it, to, for what it's worth. You know, if, 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 you've, uh, if you've decided, hey, I want to protect what's near and dear to me, that's great. And I would encourage you, you know, to, to shoulder that responsibility. But you've got to have skill at arms. And as, as uh, counterintuitive as it may sound, part of that skill at arms, in fact, one of the biggest parts of that skill at arms is having the mindset To know when it is proper, when it is necessary, and when it isn't. All the other mechanical stuff about keeping your gun running and clearing malfunctions and being able to reliably, you know, hit your target. That's actually pretty easy. And it does require practice. It's a perishable skill. But it's the thinking, the mindset. That's the thing that people need to be trained with. And if you know someone who offers that kind of training, take advantage of it. Do it sooner than later. It's also something that cannot be taken from you once you have it.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Brian Hyde Show. All right,
1: we are back. On my website, you're going to find uh, a page called Resources for Wrong Thinkers. And these are just a few of the daily sources that I go to, among many, in looking for good, reliable content. Now, when I say good and reliable content, I'm not talking about stuff that confirms what I already believe to be true. Because sometimes uh, we all need to be challenged on our beliefs, or at least we need to, to have some pushback to make sure that we're not just, you know, marching, you know, dogmatically to... Uh, to somebody else's tune. But if you want to check out that uh, that link, it's resources and it's at the Brianhideshow.com. It's, it's a great place you can sign up for various uh, email updates that come on a daily basis, but it's just a great way to get good, nonpartisan, well sourced and documented information from people who actually have a good grasp of the principles at stake. Now, I'm trying to be optimistic here. But when I see stories like this one about a couple from Plain City, Ohio, who are facing jail time for leaving two small stickers outside their small-town library, I see this as a proverbial uh, canary in a coal mine for the entire nation. We've got this devout family who... uh, were pushing back against COVID-19 mask and vax persecution in their tiny Midwest town. And the point is, if it can happen to them, it can happen to anyone anywhere. So a Midwest small town drama with significance for the entire nation is about to reach its climax as a Catholic mom and dad, disabled military combat veterans, parents of seven homeschooled children who these people are subversive are about to be sent to jail in retaliation for refusing to wear masks at their local public library, and they're facing a charge of criminal mischief for placing two small stickers on public property next to the library, encouraging others to resist heavy-handed, COVID-induced government controls. Doesn't that sound just a little bit disproportionate? Okay, just checking. The article says this family's plight is the canary in the coal mine for the entire nation. If a devout Catholic family can suffer COVID-19 mask and vaccine persecution in this tiny Midwest town, it can happen to anyone, anywhere. Sam and Julie Dean are the parents raising their large family on their homestead outside Plain City, Ohio. And the drama started back in January when Julie and her 11-year-old daughter, both maskless, walked into the local public library to pick up books they had on reserve. Library employees refused to serve Julie and her daughter unless they donned masks, despite the library's COVID-19 recommendations on its website, which which only say, wear a mask if you are able. Well, Julie didn't comply, and she refused to leave without the books. So library workers called in police who escorted Julie and her daughter out of the building and informed her, if you come back to the library, you're going to be arrested for trespassing. So in March, Sam and Julie were accused of placing two small removable stickers on the backs of a Do Not Enter traffic sign and a freestanding curbside pickup box, both located on public property outside the library. One of the stickers, about half the size of a standard index card, read, Live in Fear. It makes you easier to control. The other, smaller than a bumper sticker, said, There is no Pandemic. Your own government is using psychological warfare on you. After several scheduled pre-trial hearings in which the county court system failed to provide an Americans with Disabilities coordinator for the couple, Sam and Julie were each sentenced by the judge to 90 days in jail, reduced to two days. Additionally, the judge ruled that Sam and Julie must pay court costs and fees totaling $1,300 each, plus do 20 hours of community service and be on probation for a year. Holy cow, the sentencing which took place on July 29th requires Sam and Julie to report to the county jail for their two-day sentences within 30 days, and time is running out for them to appeal their convictions. Now, the deans have long used their First Amendment rights to push back against the extreme measures that state and local authorities have enacted, which the deans characterize as resulting from the evil, fraudulent pandemic our government has pushed on us. They explained to LifeSite News, our outspokenness on this topic has made us well known in the community and a target for harassment by authorities. Even their family van serves as a mobile billboard encouraging their neighbors, no vax, announcing various collected data on deaths and serious injuries resulting from COVID shots and displaying Bible verses which urge people to think twice about uh, wearing face masks. Come before the Lord with unveiled faces, like it says in 2 Corinthians. Well, in January, Julie explained to the three police officers who came to the Plain City Public Library to confront her and her 11-year-old daughter that due to their sincerely held religious beliefs, they cannot wear face masks. One of the police officers responded, so here's the deal. Your religious beliefs are not going to help you tonight. You are trespassing in the library. If you come back, you're going to be arrested for trespassing. In March, video presumed to be of Sam and Julie traversing the library parking area on foot, captured by the library's outside cameras, led to the library's complaint of criminal trespass. A second complaint, criminal mischief, was triggered by the discovery of two small stickers, which the library alleged Sam and Julie had placed on the back of the Do Not Enter traffic sign and the freestanding pickup box. We have freedom of speech, rights," explained Julie. This is a First Amendment thing. There was nothing that was destroyed or tampered with. These are removable stickers. So the deans have found themselves punished for heeding the message on one of the stickers. Live in fear. It makes you easier to control. Sam and Julie have chosen not to live in fear, which has made it difficult for the small-town Eichmann-like library workers and police to control them. Now, I understand. There are some people that say, well, I have no sympathy for them. They're troublemakers. They're out there trying to force their point of view on people. And Perhaps. But didn't we used to reserve getting the law involved for cases where there was actual measurable harm that was done? In this case, I mean, uh, maybe I'm oversimplifying it. I could be totally wrong on this. Wouldn't be the first time. But it sounds to me like their their offense, as I understand it, is... They have, uh, they have angered workers who are rigidly adhering to this or that uh, policy without even understanding the policy. There's actually a nice uh, video of the mom and the daughter at the library back in January, and, and, and she's asking, show me the law. Show me where it is the law that I have to wear a mask. The, the workers don't care. You know, it's it's just that bureaucratic, well, the rules say this and we have to do that. And, you know, to call the police in and have them trespassed, that's a pretty big escalation. And, you know, I don't mean any disrespect to the police, but the police are the branch of organized violence that the state uses to enforce its will. So when you invite the police into a situation, you are bringing organized violence into the equation. So, well, we think we observed them walking across the property here. You know, again, where's the harm? Well, they were told they can't come here. Was it reasonable to tell them not to come because they they won't bend the knee to the mask mandate? See, I don't think it was. I would love to be on the jury of such a case. But alas, fate has not arranged it so. But the harm done in applying those stickers, uh, you know, I, I'm not seeing anything here that would necessitate getting the police involved in the first place, much less $1,300 fines each, 90 days in jail, all but two days uh, suspended. The problem is, if they don't toe the line The state will use increasing amounts of force and will escalate its use of force until they comply or until they are dead, if they continue resisting. That's the logical conclusion. All I'm asking is, at what point is it reasonable to use force to invite the state into a situation like this against a couple who, you know, admittedly, not everybody shares their beliefs. But what is their actual behavior? What is the harm caused by their behavior that would necessitate this again, It's more of an indication we've got a very broken system right now, and I'm not sure you know what what should they do? Should they continue to resist? All I know is uh if you're interested there's there's actually a link there at the article. Uh, at the articles website where you can uh, you can send some support to them. I'm sure that uh, financially these kind of legal costs aren't uh, aren't a lot of fun. But I think these folks are actually standing on pretty solid first amendment ground. And I think it's the state and I think it's these library workers among others who are out of line.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, we are back.
1: Final segment of the show here. Got a couple of topics that, uh, that I would like to touch on. This one may seem like it's a little bit out of the blue, but uh, China has really grown into a very significant role on the world stage over the last few generations. And now its leader, Xi Jinping, has released a resolution regarding that nation's future. And some are saying that uh, this is a new communist manifesto. So it might be something worth paying attention to. Pepe Escobar. Uh, actually, has written an excellent article on this, and I'll have a link to this in the show notes at the com. Just a couple of quick uh, excerpts from this. Late last week in Beijing, writes Escobar, the sixth plenum of the Chinese Communist Party adopted a historic resolution, only the third in its 100-year history, detailing major accomplishments and laying out a vision for the future. Essentially, the resolution poses three questions. How did we get here? How come we were so successful, and what have we learned to make these successes long-lasting? Now, the importance of this resolution, he says, shouldn't be underestimated. It imprints a major geopolitical fact, which is China is back, big time, and doing it their way. No amount of fear and loathing deployed by the declining hegemon, that would be the U.S., will alter this path. The resolution will inevitably prompt quite a few misunderstandings. So uh, Pepe Escobar says, allow me a little deconstruction from the viewpoint of someone who's lived between East and West for the past 27 years. He says, if we compare China's 31 provinces with the 214 sovereign states that compose the international community, every Chinese region has experienced the fastest economic growth rates in the world. Across the West, the liniments of China's notorious growth equation, without any historical parallel, have usually assumed the mantle of an unsolvable mystery. Little helmsman Deng Xiaoping's famous Crossing the River While Feeling the Stones, described as the path to build socialism with Chinese characteristics, may be the overarching vision. But the devil has always been in the details. How the Chinese applied, with a mix of prudence and audaciousness, every possible device to facilitate the transition toward a modern economy. And the hybrid result has been defined by a delightful oxymoron, communist market economy. Actually, that's the perfect practical translation of Deng's legendary, It doesn't matter the color color of the cat as long as it catches mice. And it was this oxymoron, in fact, that the new resolution passed in Beijing celebrated last week. So Mao and Deng have been uh, exhaustively analyzed over the years. But um, in this case, Pepe Escobar says, let's focus here on Papa Xi's uh, brand new bag. Right after he was elevated to the apex of the party, Xi defined his unambiguous master plan, which was to accomplish the Chinese dream or China's renaissance. In this case, in political economy terms, Renaissance means to realign China to its rightful place in history, spanning at least three millennia, right at the center. Middle Kingdom indeed. Already during his first term, Xi managed to imprint a new ideological framework. The party, as in centralized power, should lead the economy towards what was rebranded as the new era. A reductionist formulation would be the state strikes back. But in fact, it was way more complicated. This wasn't just a rehash of state-run economy standards, nothing to do with a Maoist structure capturing large swaths of the economy. Xi embarked in what we could sum up as a quite original form of authoritarian state capitalism, where the state is simultaneously an actor and the arbiter of economic life. And Xi did take a lot of lessons from the West, using mechanisms of regulation and supervision to check, for instance, the shadow banking sphere macroeconomically the expansion of public debt in china was contained and the extension of credit better supervised it only took a few years for beijing to be convinced that major financial sphere risks were under control now he talks about the manual for power projection and he says what uh, what must be understood by both the global north and south is the conceptual framework of the Chinese dream, which is Xi's unshakable ambition that the renaissance of China will finally smash the memories of the century of humiliation for good. Party discipline, the Chinese way, is really something to behold. The CCP is is the only communist party on the planet that, thanks to Deng, has discovered the secret of amassing wealth. And that brings us to Xi's role enshrined as a great transformer, on the same conceptual level as Mao and Tang he f- he fully grasped how the state and the party created wealth the next step is to use the party and wealth as instruments to be put at the service of china's renaissance now that would be that would mean they would focus more on trade rather than war but the bottom line is beijing is not interested in becoming a new hegemon, at least according to this declaration. What matters above all is to remove any possible constraints that the outside world may try to impose over China's own internal decisions, and especially over its unique political setup. So the West may embark on hysteria fits over anything from Tibet and Hong Kong to Xinjiang and, and, uh, Chai- and Taiwan, but cons- it won't change a thing, according to Pepe Escobar. He says, one final note on uh, terminology, and I thought this was interesting. The Chinese Communist Party is also, ex- also always very uh, precise. Xi's two predecessors espoused perspectives or visions. In fact, Deng wrote about theory. Only Mao was accredited with thought. But this new era has now seen Xi, for all uh, practical purposes, elevated to the status of thought and part of the Civilization State's Constitution. And that's why the party resolution last week in Beijing could be interpreted as the new Communist Manifesto. And its main author is, without a shadow of a doubt, Xi Jinping. So whether the manifesto will be the ideal roadmap for a wealthier, more educated, and infinitely more complex society than in the times of Mao Zedong, all bets are off. I don't know much about China but I do know that it's worth keeping an eye on this because I'm, I think their, their place on the world stage is, is there. I think their time is, is now. Whatever that may mean, just keep an eye on it. One final thought here. Uh, the most solid currency in our lives can be found in our relationships with others. Now, I got a quick essay here from Paul Rosenberg. I want to give you a couple of quick excerpts. Your relationships have been defiled. Now, he says relationships matter a lot. We're formed by relationships with other people, parents, siblings, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, neighbors, spouses, children, business associates, and more. The impact of relationships in our lives is profound. But there's a factor in most of our relationships that actually sullies them, that warps and dirties them. And that is the peremptory intrusion by enforcers and mediators. He says, the most vulgar images we have of this are the Prima Nocta stories, the ruler's right of the first night with any bride, as seen in Braveheart and other pieces of fiction. Apparently, there's little or no evidence that these things ever really happened in the West. On a less vulgar and far more widespread scale, however, violations of our relationships are not fiction. They're all too real. Who do you think has a right to take over your relationships with your children? What about your relationships with your spouse? In fact, your government claims precisely those rights. They forcibly set themselves as the arbiter of your marriage. They have the right to steal your children and force you to do business or not do business with whomever they specify. Now, that may not be as horrific as prima nocta, but it functions on precisely the same principle of dominance and force. The claim of the intruders that we're doing this for your own good in no way changes the fact that they are taking over your relationships by force. Now, he says, familiarity breeds slavery. And before I get to the heart of the issue, he says, I should probably devote a section to the internal issues it triggers. It's crazy to imagine that outsiders have any right to control our relationships with our families. But it's precisely what they've done to us. And the reason we allow this is familiarity. People see abuse as normal, and when they do, their examination of it ceases. Everyone around them accepts the crime, as they do too. In fact, uh, Harriet Tubman wrote, If if I could have convinced more slaves that they were slaves, I could have freed thousands more. Think about that. If it was hard to convince slaves in the old American South that they were enslaved, then this problem is significant. And the way out of this situation is to examine the morality of these things and then to accept the conclusions of that examination. You'll notice that agents of the status quo always resort to intimidation and confusion. The answer to these abuses is moral clarity. I'll let you check out the rest of his article for yourself. It's in the show notes at thebrianhide.show.com. I will just leave you with this one question. What are you doing on a daily basis to increase your moral clarity.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.